Kia Flat Marama, and good afternoon. Aotearoa and welcome to the panel, RNZ National. I've got to say, uh, Jock, people loved your love story. I love this story. A couple of weeks ago, I listened to the podcast from the Shetlands. My kin came to Otago from Orkney and loved those faraway islands. Let's hope these two, Jock and Elizabeth, get together. Bugger Shortland Street, this is so much better, says someone. Jen says, you give me hope. Teenage love, live in hope. Uh, and uh, another one here. I'm a former English teacher and writer, Wallace. When your little boy asks for stories with a list of characters and scenarios, you have a go at making uh, writing down involving him in the process so he understands spoken to written words. Get him to illustrate it the next day if he's still interested. Get him to rewrite. Can we make our story even better? Have we left anything out? That's a wonderful oh, tip. Oh, I like that. Thank yeah. you so much yeah, for that. Good one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jock Anderson and Caroline Daly with me this afternoon. And to this first, hundreds of organisations across the world have been affected by a ransomware attack on software company Kaseya. And just this afternoon, more than 100 kindergartens in the lower North Island who use the software are back to using pen and paper. With me now is Amanda Colston, the Chief Executive of the Free Kindergarten Association Fauna Manaki. Amanda Kiora. Kia ora. Uh, do you know if you've hit, been hit by this ransomware attack? We're still working our way through it all um, at the moment, Wallace. It's, uh, it's a tedious and um, detailed process we have to go through to ensure that, um, that, that everybody's safe and our information is safe. This ransomware attack, what's the impact on the kids? Uh, nothing on the kids, of course. Our, our teachers have have done a fantastic job today, just um, draw, draw, using their rulers and drawing up um, spreadsheets that they would normally download, and um, have made a, a, a fun learning experience for the for the children as well. Probably some of the children will be quite fascinated <laughs> to um, to see pen and paper being used in this way. Mm, back to pen and paper, Carolyn. Isn't yeah, that wonderful? It, it, yeah. it is interesting because so many people forget how to write because they're so used to typing or or texting that actually holding a pen in mm. or, you know or a pencil in your hand for a long period of time, you know, people just can't do it. Mm. Amanda, how are the staff handling it? They're, they're doing a fantastic job. They're really supportive. We've asked them not to turn any of their computers on while we work our way through, and they've just um, been really supportive. They're still able to use iPads and cell phones and access the internet, um, but they're, they're just this is the final week of the term, and they're just focused on having a great time with the children. Right, Amanda Coulson, the Chief Executive of the Free Kindergarten Association, Fana Manaki. Uh, thank you very much for being with us. No doubt, uh, Jock Anderson, eh, this, uh, this, this ransomware attack, it's actually pretty significant internationally, and I see that uh, Joseph Biden has uh, labelled it out. They want some sort of... Um, he wants to get to the bottom of it as well. Well, it certainly is. Does it uh, appear to be coming out of Russia or somewhere? The thing that always puzzles me with these kind of cyber attacks, Wallace, is that that surely with the high levels of technology that we have, um, that surely the the good countries can block this or find this. The good countries? What are the the good countries, Jock? Well, the good countries like us, like New Zealand, we surely, surely we must be able to block this because obviously bad people in bad countries are doing these attacks. We should be able to stop it, surely. 
I, I think, you know, if I look at um, the people who are training in the IT space today, I mean, basically what you want to do is hire very smart people yep. and get them to try and hack your system for you. Mm, and, yep. and just, you know, you have to keep building because the technology, the speed of computers gets faster and faster. And unless you put resource into it, and I think this is the problem, we do a lot of these things on trust. And there are, you know, glaring loopholes in the code. Maybe, maybe as the kindy people have found out, that now is the time to go back to pen and paper. Mm. 13 past four, a recent study shows that more than half of New Zealanders with cold and flu symptoms are choosing not to get tested for COVID-19. Despite this, 87% of respondents in that same study said they're proud of New Zealand's high levels of COVID testing. The study was commissioned by the Royal College of Pathologists of Australasia and surveyed 1,000 people last month. Joining us from the association, the RCPA, is President Michael Dre. Michael, welcome. Hello. It doesn't roll off the tongue very easily, does it? <laughs> hey, Michael... Um, Tell me, how, how do you read these statistics? Are you concerned by them? I am, actually. And, and we under, you've understated the number of people who would seek a... Uh, um, sorry, who wouldn't seek a uh, COVID test for simple symptoms. It's nearer 64% in, in New Zealand compared to... We're even worse than the Australians, where, where at least 50% would seek a COVID test with a, with a cold or flu-like symptoms. So I think it is a concern. It seems like people are assuming they simply have a cold or flu because we may not have as much COVID, we don't have COVID in the community. I think that's right, and that sort of plays into a risk for, of complacency. Right. Um, certainly with the, the newer variants of concern of COVID, you know, the Delta variant, the symptoms can be very similar to a common cold with sore throat, cough, blocked nose. Um, now, we've all had those over the years, um, and I, I, I think the days of soldiering on, uh, we need to sort of change mindset. But is it partly, Michael, do you think the fact that it's only now with the Delta variant that the symptoms are like a cold? You know, initially we were all told, you know, it's losing your sense of taste and smell and, and so on. You know, so the different different symptoms might now get a lot more people going off to get a COVID test. I, I think I think you're right there. I think the... Um the, the symptom pattern of the, the Delta virus is a lot more, a lot less uh, melodramatic as you know, the loss of smell and the, the rash and bits and pieces falling off. I think um, it's become a more more subtle beast and um, we need to, but it's still incredibly infectious. Michael, I had to read these figures uh, two or three times to make sure I was actually reading that <laughs> 64% uh, of people choosing not to get tested. Um, I mean, in New Zealand, where we've had a, a very good record, we've had an enormous amount of information, uh, most of it accurate, uh, coming from the government, and people have complied, they've been doing all sorts of things, the right things. Is it a case of people have just got sick and tired of it, perhaps, in New Zealand, saying, look, it's not going to bother me, I'm OK, nothing has happened to me? Is there some reason, real reason for this? I think it is. We've just no, it's been going on eighteen months now. Mm. Um, we've we've read and heard horror stories overseas, and yeah. yet, and 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 we seem to have miraculously dodged a few bullets here. And so I think there is that sense of uh, it won't happen to us. So um, and and yet that 
I don't want to see us trip up after all the hard work that we have done. Yeah. Mm, so, and on that note, Michael, you really uh, continued to understate the importance of testing, right? I mean, you were saying that we are, I mean, we're now at a pivotal point in this pandemic, and it's just vital that we aim to reach a minimum number of COVID-19 tests each day. That, that's right. We just it, It's sort of almost a surveillance tool. Uh, mm. One of other tools, you know, the, the ESR also doing sewerage testing for COVID virus particles, etc. But it's a, we, we need to keep that um, regular testing up and um, keep those numbers up so that we are, we're, we're alert, but not, not, uh, not, not distressed. All right, the final message then, Michael. Um, you're at the workplace right now. You list, you've got the panel tuned on. You might have uh, a, couple of, a couple of these symptoms and you go, oh, goodness me. What's the message? I, th- I think, you know, look at your symptoms. The, um, the COVID app that the Ministry of Health have put out has got lots of advice on there and, and also advice as to where, where testing is available. So I think um, it's better to be... The advice is there, the information is there, that use the app um, and just be sensible. And you know, if you've got a sore throat, sniffly nose, and it's not, not high fever time, um, get mm. tested. All right. Uh, President of the Royal College of Pathologists of Australasia, Michael Dray. Michael, thank you for, for your time there. And, and also, um, uh, uh, Karen, there might be just as reticence to actually uh, just simply take time off work. You know, you're in the, you're in the mode of working hard uh, and you go, oh, goodness me, I just, I just haven't got time to do that. Yeah, you know, I, just... I think it's interesting now. I think a lot more people, if they have a bit of a sniffle, are just staying home and working yeah. if, if they can. But whether they then take themselves off, you know, because we've been told for years, you know, if you've got a top cold, no point going to the doctor, no point getting, you know, all those people wanted antibiotics being told, well, no, that's not going to help. So I think there is a little bit of, a little bit of rest at home is is what you need. And probably we're, we're seeing the consequence of that. As long as they keep the wastewater um, testing up, though, we should mm. be... Sort of okay. Someone says, I was tested with a bad cold, sore throat, negative to COVID. Recently, I didn't get a test because it was a cold. I caught off grandkids, but it is sensible to take care. 19 past four, the panel, RNZ National. Million dollar mortgages are becoming more common, and there is a warning that it means interest rate increases will hit hard, reports Miriam Bell for stuff. New data from the property website homes.co.nz showed that 15% of all sales nationwide were for more than 1.25 million in the past 12 months. So, Wolfster, $1 million mortgage might be serviceable at this rate. It was important to think about what it would mean in repayment terms when rates do start to go up again. With us is economist Cameron Bagri. Cameron, welcome. Uh, good afternoon. Good afternoon. A million-dollar mortgage. Who would have thought that we'd arrive at the point where we have bought a house and have a million dollars owing, Cameron? Yeah, it's quite quite mind-blowing. But you sit back there and you, and, and you do the maths and you work out, look, if you can borrow at the moment one year, fixed rate is 2.19%. So if you go... 22-odd thousand a year on a million dollars worth of debt, divide that by 52. You know, your weekly outgoings in regard to interest are a little bit over $400 a week. Well, you can't rent a place for $400 a week. You know, so that, that's just the impact of incredibly lower interest rates. have skewed the playing field an awful lot more towards buying a house, but what that also means is taking on some pretty eye-watering 
debt, and of course, you know, debt is not just about servicing debt. You've got to pay it off. You've got to pay the principal. And it's the principal plus the interest that people need to be mindful of, not just the interest. Right. And I can imagine, uh, Cameron, there will be people who have gone into a super mortgage, these, you know, million-dollar mortgages, not prepared for an interest rate rise because we were and are so used to low interest rates. Well, you kind of hope if the, if the banks have been doing their job in regard to responsible lending, then they, there shouldn't be too many people in that category. You know, the, the banks, when they approve a loan, do not use the, the current mortgage rates to determine whether you can actually service the debt. Uh-huh. They've got these hypothetical rates that are generally two to 300 basis points above where the current rates are right. on the market. So that provides a fair bit of wriggle room in regard to whether people have got that flexibility if interest rates do start to move up. But, of course, a lot of this, while it's all about lifestyle, as well, if you commit to a pretty big mortgage, you've almost got a responsibility to rein in your lifestyle. Uh, some people can do that, some people can't. Karen, what do you reckon? Yeah, I, I guess the thing is that the million-dollar house now doesn't necessarily um, require a big lifestyle, does it? That's just sort of... You know, plain pack at the supermarket, but that's the cost of living in Auckland. Yeah, well, it's, it's not just Auckland. There's, there's other places around New Zealand at the moment that are heading up into that million-dollar-plus bracket. And I guess you step back and you have a look at just a pretty simple economic indicator, such so as house prices to income. If you look at Auckland, you know, that's up in excess of 11. It looks like it's on track to hit 12. Now, that's Gee. phenomenal, not just for New Zealand but what we're seeing in other jurisdictions around the globe. Now, that's you know, highlights some pretty big affordability problems that we've got in New Zealand in regard to supply, but it also highlights that little Lucifer effect that lower interest rates have had on the market because if you skew the quiet playing field more towards buying over renting, which is what lower interest rates have done, then lo and behold, people are going to be out there buying. Well, OK, so Jock Anderson, he lives in Tiamaru, so is the answer perhaps for all of us to, uh, you know, Maybe put Parliament in Temaru and uh, and be, have more bases there. Jock, come into the pro- uh, well, discussion. Well, there, arg- there is an argument for that, for decentralisation, and I'm, I'm a big supporter of decentralisation, but the reality is is that there are large numbers of people living in Auckland for a variety of reasons, and I used to live there myself. But I think what, what Cameron's saying is that really not a hell of a lot has changed over the years. Uh, we shouldn't be you know, be too uh, disturbed by million-dollar mortgages because a few years ago, $100,000 mortgage was a big one. But the, I think the key thing is is the ability of people to repay that mortgage within their means and to look ahead. And he mentioned um, that incredible um, uh, phrase, uh, responsible lending by banks. And I think we have to rely on banks to do responsible lending and look ahead and say, well, there's no point in lending money to someone who clearly can't afford to pay it, or maybe in 12 months' time they lose their job or something happens. I think you still... The, the practical approach doesn't change, I don't think, um, whatever the market does. You still have to look ahead into the years in the future and say, well, can I still afford to pay this? But this is a million-dollar mortgage. This is not a $100,000 job. You're talking about a completely different world now. I've got a question for you, Cameron. That is, one wonders what sort of societal flow-on effect of having such a huge mortgage is. I mean, Caroline, you're an historian. You'll be the sort of you'll be a person to actually study this economic yeah. flow-on effect uh, down down the line. But first, Cameron. Well, you got the positive aspect on one side of, of home ownership. In regard to lower interest rates, have allowed an awful lot of people to jump onto that property ladder. Okay. 
uh, to be fair, it is, you know, for a lot of people, it's relied on the bank of, of mum and dad uh, to work to do that. You know, so lower interest rates have not allowed everybody to, to play that sort of trade. You know, the, the, the flip side is that the Reserve Bank's highlighted this within their financial stability report. Yeah, when you take on debt, and New Zealanders are taking on a lot more debt in the last 12 to 24 months, it becomes a point of vulnerability if yeah. things start to go a little bit awry, you know, i.e. maybe we go through a downturn, unemployment moves up, or, Lord forbid, the property market goes backwards at some stage down the track. And what we're going to be looking at pretty closely over the coming couple of years is the trajectory for interest rates. You know, Nothing's going to be a problem as long as interest rates are low. Yeah, but what we are seeing within the New Zealand economy at the moment is that, one, the economy looks in pretty good shape outside of tourism. You know, it looks like we're at full employment, and the inflationary nuances on the ground are starting to turn pretty hot. You know, so there is an awful lot of pressure there turning to the Reserve Bank to lift interest rates sooner rather than later, and then we're going to get into this sort of narrative, this debate about, well, how high are they mm. going to go? But it definitely looks like over the coming two to three years, they're going to be moving up. All right, economist Cameron Bagri, thank you for your time there. Uh, the problem is that for a million dollars in Auckland to Wellington, you're still looking at a doer upper. I mean, the pressure, Caroline, yeah. of servicing a mortgage of a million dollars there's so many things one thinks of. So you have to have two people working. Definitely. You've got to be away from home all the time. You've got to have minders. And it just goes on and, and on and on. And if you can on. afford nothing, the child minders. Nothing has changed. No, all it has, Jock. It figure, has changed. The figure has changed. The no, figure is no, bigger than it used to be. What has it, changed is no that you need is, no two incomes. Caroline yet, first. But no you one need is two to have incomes. a million dollar mortgage. Yeah. Caroline first. But if, you know, if we go back... Cause as Wallace says, you know, my background's in New Zealand history. If you go back 50 years, if you look at some of the people listening to this program, knew that one income was enough to buy a family home in Auckland. You did not need to have two incomes. One parent, usually the mother, could stay home, and she did, and looked after the kids. That cannot happen now for the vast majority of people. Jock. Well, I can recall when my parents uh, bought their first house in Dunedin, uh, both of my parents worked, otherwise they would not have been able to do that, and that was when there were state advance loans of 3%. Uh, they could not have afforded that on, on one income. Both people worked, many, many people that we knew back then. When I was a, a teenager, uh, the husband and the wife worked, um, it happened in my case with my previous, my late partner. We both worked, otherwise we could not have afforded to do it. I think it's, it's affordability. People Caroline? do not, people don't have to have a million dollar mortgage. They are not forced to have one. People don't have to have a million dollar mortgages. Uh, have, you, um, have, you, have, you, have you picked up the paper recently, Jock, and seen the prices? Maybe not in Temo I've seen but, the pr- but have you have you actually, have you looked at the world, Jock, that you're living in? Yes, I have seen the prices, but you don't have to buy million-dollar homes or $2 million. You don't have to do that. There are places in Auckland, there are places in New Zealand where you can live in a nice home with work without having to incur such massive debt. Where? Yeah, I don't know where where in this Auckland you find that. Well, a friend friend of mine has just recently um, bought a property on the outskirts of Auckland um, for under a million dollars a very, very nice modern family home, three or four bedrooms, and a nice section in a nice area. 
So, so. the outskirts of Auckland. So if you want, yeah. if you work in Auckland, if you actually have to get into the city, you are spending at least an hour and a half a day each way to commute. You've got the cost of commuting in terms of your time, in terms of having a reliable vehicle or paying for the public transport. And if you have the sort of job where you can't turn up a little bit late, you're probably going to rely on your own vehicle rather than public transport in case the train's out. Jock is saying, Jock is saying you've got to look around. If you live in Auckland, you're not looking hard enough. That's right. Caroline? <laughs> well, I, I, look, that's a very different city than the one I live in because I, I don't know where these properties are. You can go far and wide in Auckland. We're seeing now because developers are coming in on a lot of properties in the south, you know, suburbs that once might have been affordable are now out of price because people are land banking. And while we allow that sort of stuff to happen, we're just saying to families, no. We also now have a minimum wage, and this is also different from when Jock's parents and, and Jock himself was um, in the workforce on a regular basis. You know, we used to have a minimum wage and we used to have a welfare system that was built on a married man having a wife and three children and having a decent standard of living. And was that an, was the was adult a, minimum wage. There was the a news adult o- minimum wage nowadays is about $20. There was that a, is an, not enough to pay item. rent in Auckland. There was a news item in, uh, on television last night about Rolleston, the, the satellite city outside of Christchurch, where brand new homes, three to four bedrooms, are being sold for five hundred and fifty thousand dollars. You don't need That's a million-dollar mortgage That's a long way to commute to Auckland. All right, uh, <laughs> uh, big response to this. Big response to this. Uh, if you are looking for a home in Auckland right now, what sort of prices are you seeing? And in fact, have you been able to buy a home under one million dollars in Auckland? Tell us about it. Two one zero one. We are with Dr. Carolyn Daly and Jock Anderson this 